south on a Sunday morning. You have lots of choices of what to do on a beautiful day like this. And you decide to come here, and we're, we're grateful for that. And I'm the uh, pastor here at the south, and, uh, and we're, uh, we're excited to start a new series this morning. Guys on media, you do a fantastic job. Can we just dip the, these lights just a bit? Because, uh, oh, there you go. I can see you now. Wonderful. Excellent. Doesn't the place look great? How many of you remember when we had these actually hung up Chinese restaurant style? Do you remember that? How many of you remember those? Because that that's what I w- we wanted when we first came about eight years ago. We had, we had lights everywhere. It was wonderful. And there's a reason why we have everything. If you, and I encourage you to look. There's, uh, that Jesus, our series, Light of the World, is uh, the South Art Project. have done a fantastic job of interpreting that. And uh, please have a look at the, the beautiful art outside. And I've been told that each week there's going to be a little bit more. And so we're grateful for uh, the South Art Project doing that and uh, if you don't know who they are then I'm sure they'll be Wendy or Maureen or somebody will be around the connect desk and they'd be happy to chat with you that's an amazing ministry that we have um so we're jumping into a new series this week, and, and this series is, uh, is one that I've been looking forward to sharing with you for a, uh, for an, for a number of uh, months, actually. Uh, we do plan ahead as to what we believe we should share, and so we're going to focus over the next six to seven weeks on Jesus, all the way through to Easter. And, and the reality is, is that we have good reason to focus on Jesus. Two billion people, two billion people in the world today would say that they were a Jesus follower. Two billion. That's over a third of the population would declare that Jesus is their God. And the reality is, we have to ask the question, and I'm hoping this will, is is this going to come up on this as well? Maybe Drew's scrambling. Thanks, Drew. Is, I know it's up there, but we're building up the suspense. Why follow Jesus? Why, hey, there we go. Why follow Jesus? Jesus. Now, I, I just prayed. You came through the door. We have a South family and, and, and the South family, the church gathering, and we have all sorts of different experiences and backgrounds and faith positions, and, but we're all kind of common on this. Okay, why follow Jesus? What, what is it about Jesus? Why do we do church? Why do two billion people declare that Jesus is their God? There has to be a reason. And so if you have not been in church for a while, and, or maybe you're just thinking through faith, this is a great series to come along to because really Jesus is everything about what Christianity is about. The reality is, and the truth is, is that Jesus has a profound and earth-transforming legacy. Jesus impacted the history of this earth in a way that no other human has. No one is more important, no one is more influential, no one has been more prominent. And you don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. History says that, that he's had a life-transforming, history-changing legacy that still resonates through the earth today. Let me give you a couple of quotes. These are quotes not from Christians. This is from H.G. Wells. I'm a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. It's a shame he spent center wrong. Never mind. Couldn't have been that smart. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Just pause and think about that. That is a non-Christian writer-historian saying this man is irrevocably the most important human being to ever have lived. 
Here's another one. As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on the planet. Historian Kenneth Scott Lotterette. Lotterette. That is a statement made again by a non-Christian historian. So you would expect me and you might go, well, you're bound to say that Jesus is important because you are a Jesus follower. Well, actually, no, history aligns itself with this truth, with this fact that Jesus has had a profound effect, not only on history, but in people's lives and still does. So it would be foolish for us to ignore him. It'd be foolish for us to shrug our shoulders and go, well, I don't need to think about him. I've got my own faith. Because the reality is, how many people are following your faith as opposed to Jesus? Now, you might go, well, if, if your faith is in money or in possessions or anything like that, well, that's a different conversation. And so we're actually going to press into some things this morning that may make you feel uncomfortable. Because the reality is this. When I say, why follow Jesus? Why do we look at this? Why are we looking at Jesus over the next seven weeks? Because the truth is, and I say this lovingly, but I say this as a 46-year-old guy who's lived in the West his whole life, I say this for an absolute certainty. We all follow something. We all follow something. Like religiously. And I've chosen that word on purpose. We have faith in something. So here's what we're going to do over the next six weeks, seven weeks, all the way through to Easter. Is we're going to study the first six chapters of John. And in doing so, we're going to study this man, Jesus. We're going to look at what he says, what people say about him, what he's done, some different things, and we're going to look at it in such a way where we're going to answer the question, ah, so that's why people follow Jesus. Now then, when we answer that question, that may not be good enough for some people in the room, and that's fine. But the reality is, is that what we're doing is we're actually saying, okay, regardless of whether we buy in or not, now we understand why he has had such a profound effect on history. That's my hope, that's my prayer. And so we're going to start by looking at John chapter 1. Oh, England. Hey, Hereford. That's where they know how to make drive waves, right? Never mind the house. I mean, you can see the house tucked away. And, it, you know, it's okay by the looks of it. But that driveway, look at how straight and incredible that driveway is and how well manicured and dandelionless that lawn is and how perfectly placed on purpose that oak tree is. It's a beautiful thing. And if you've ever had the, the luxury or the, I shouldn't say luxury, privilege of visiting a stately home or a house in Europe or in especially England, because England, Great Britain's not Europe as we're seeing in, we've never really been European if I'm honest, it's the Europeans and then it's the British. And, uh, but we do houses well, we do driveways well. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, we do food well. There was a reason why they had long driveways. Because the experience of the house starts usually at some grand gates at the start of a driveway. The really big, posh houses in Britain had several gates. And as you're driving or walking or more likely being horse and carriaged up to the house, it gets more and more beautiful. The experience, the grandeur, the importance of the house increases as you drive along this driveway. I've said before, I worked at a house, uh, like a very large stately home called Kimmel Hall for quite a few years. The driveway was over a mile long. And it twisted and turned and it was through beautiful forests. And there's something about the driveway. John chapter 1 is the driveway into John. 
the grandeur, the beauty, the importance of John chapter 1 cannot be overestimated. It is an incredible, profound, and deep passage. And when we read it, you're going to see, and I hope you take time, because if you want my sermon notes, John chapter 1, just read it. It's right there. You're going to see that this is a, uh, it could be a challenging passage to look at, and yet has such a depth, and also has the answers to why follow Jesus. So let's look at this first verse in John chapter 1, and you can find it in, uh, uh, in your Bible or on, on your uh, device. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John was a follower of Jesus. He was, uh, he was a, a, a deep thinker. He clearly, we know that he loved Jesus passionately. John, the gospel, has some amazingly profound statements and verses, some of which even non-Christians would know because they've seen them on placards at football games. And John is an amazing book. And John starts off by saying something quite incredible, astonishing really, given the time that he wrote it. And the reason is, surrounds the interpretation of this word that actually in the Greek is logos, the word logos, which many of you will know the literal translation of logos is word, that in the beginning was the word. So the translator has done a good job going from Greek to English as to what the word word really means. It means word. But it actually represents a very deep philosophical idea that the Greeks initiated and started. And the idea was this, is that they believed that behind the universe, behind life, there was a balance. There was a cosmic order. That there was a, there was a, a fluidity and flow to nature and life itself. And they called it the Logos. And they believed that if there is a logos, a divine order, a design, a reason for life where we can find contentment. What if life has that? And so they had this idea that if you could discover what the logos was, that the reason was, the divine balance behind what we see then you would find contentment and purpose and peace and and that our whole life really was about finding that logos. And conversely, if you don't find the Logos, in fact, if you don't seek and look for it even, you will find discontent. There will be disalignment. Uh, Is that the right word? There, you would be, you, there, there would be, there, there would be any peace. There's the lack of purpose. You're kind of spinning, looking for this, looking for that all over the place if you don't find this Logos. A few years ago, uh, when we were still living in England, so I guess almost 16 years ago, uh, Sarah and I decided for some mad reason that it would be a good idea to promote ourselves from living in a, uh, going on vacations in a tent. And we bought what in England we call a caravan, which is a trailer van. And, uh, and the technologies for trailer vans now, especially in Canada, is, you know, they're very light and they're, they're very efficient, they're very good. But back then, we didn't buy a particularly light and efficient trailer van, caravan. Ours was quite heavy, it was pretty long. But we were determined, because we were tired of sitting in our tent in the rain, looking longingly at people in their trailer vans, drinking coffee with smug looks on their faces. We want to be in one of them. So we bought one. And we decided we were going to go on holiday with our friends. And so we set off. Uh, so we started planning this holiday. The problem was, is that just before we were about to leave, our car stopped working to, to pull it. So we was like, that's okay. 
we'll rent a car. We'll rent a car to pull the caravan to go on a holiday. And so we rented a really good, big car, and off we went. And we went onto the road. It was near where we lived, the A55. And we started accelerating up. And almost immediately, the, the caravan started to sway. Now, okay, just because some of you are already looking at me going, well, you clearly didn't have a sway bar on it. I can, I, I can feel your thoughts, so just stop your judgment. Okay, this is quite a long time ago, and so we, whatever, so along. And those of you who ever had that experience, it's awful. Because the caravan starts dictating the motion of the car. The car goes this way, the caravan goes this way, and you can literally feel the back end of the car being whipped around, which sounds fun unless you're going, you know, 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, whatever. And once it starts, it just keeps going until eventually disaster can ensue. You see, that car was not designed to pull that caravan's weight. So what we did is we got out and we, we, uh, we adjusted the weight. We put all the weight as much as we could over the center of the two between the caravan and the car. And it actually worked. It stabilized it and we were fine. We just took our time. See, that's a really great picture of what Logos is like. You see, what we do is we put, we, we, we need something that can take the weight of life. You need a car that has been designed, you need a life, you need a logos that has been designed so that when you pull through life, when you're moving through life, that when the sway starts, that you are stable. And the reality is, is if you don't have the right logos, if you don't have the right design, if you don't have the right car, then when those things come, your whole life gets whipped around. And notice when I said when those issues come. So the Greeks believed that life was about figuring out what that Logos was. About discovering what that Logos was. That thing, that balance, that alignment, what you're going to anchor into that's going to bring contentment and strength and being steadfast. Life was about figuring that out. Welcome to Kelowna. We are a bunch of Greeks. We are the Greeks. Life is still about trying to figure out that Logos. And I'm not sure whether I've ever lived in a city that is more passionately pursuing logoses that actually are not up to the task of the weight of life. Passionately pursuing the logos that you believe, that we believe, that our culture, our society believes is going to be up to the task. That it's going to be big enough and beautiful enough and more ultimate enough and strong enough so that when life comes at us and slams into our soul that we're still driving strong in line. That we find contentment and peace. That we're not constantly looking for the next thing. That we're not thinking, well, the answer is in being fit. Or the answer is in yoga. Or the answer is my logos is in eating more kale. Or whatever it might be. We got so many. It's absolutely crazy. The amount of logoses that we have in our culture. In Kelowna, we are the Greeks. And the challenge is this, is how do we align ourselves with Logos if we don't know what it is? Because we have all sorts of different ideas. No, the answer is this, Glenn, this is what we need to do. And if everybody would just do this, then we would all find peace and contentment. We would all live happily ever after and go skipping through the woods and everything would be great. And then somebody else, no, 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 that's not the answer. The answer is this. This is the Logos. This is what life is all about. This is what we should be doing. And if we all did this, then it would be great, it would be fine, it would be good, 
then life would be in alignment with what we were designed to do. And this is why I love preaching. One of the reasons. Because I don't need to stand here and convince you that there's a God. I don't need to convince you there's a God. And if you want more convincing, then listen to our series FAQ from, from the fall. Because the reason I say that is because we all have this sense of the Logos. There's more. There's more. And when we get to what we thought was more, we lo and behold discover, actually, no, this isn't bringing me the peace and contentment that I thought it was. There must be something more. And so we grab. And when I say this is Kelowna, that's what our city is all about. Discovering what the Logos is. Selling ourselves to it. Sacrificing ourselves to it. Only to discover that actually what we thought was the answer was not. And if you're like, well, Glenn, that's awfully cynical. I think if we spent a few minutes thinking about experiences and people and things that maybe you've experienced and maybe things you've observed, you kind of go, yeah, it's true. And then John comes along. In the beginning was the Word and he was with God and, and, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You see, this is why it was so amazing for John to come along and say, look, this Logos that you are looking for, this contentment, this peace, this alignment, the thing that you are sacrificing your life to, that, that thing that you think is your answer, whether it be business or whether it be your great kids or whether it be your marriage or whether it be your RRSP or your retirement plans or all those things that we, that we anchor into, believing there are hope. Maybe it's your looks. Maybe it's your fitness. Maybe it's, it's something that you feel you've got control of. That John comes on and goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Logos isn't out there. Logos is a he. Logos is a person. Logos does exist. It can be found. He is personal. He's not far off. And every one of us can have a relationship with that Logos. And his name is Jesus. That is insanely different then. And it is dramatically transforming now. Because what John is basically saying is the answer to life, life contentment, life balance, life alignment, being strong when the trailer starts to sway, is found in the one called Jesus. And he's not something you just add to your life. He is your life. He becomes your life. Because actually think about it. We make logoses our life. Whatever your logos is becomes our lives. We sacrifice to it. We think about it. Where does our mind wander to when we're not thinking about anything else? That's a good indication of what your logos is. If you want to know what your logos is, what are you most anxious about? Might be taken away. If that thing is taken away, does it bring deep anxiety to you? Well, Is that Logos for you? It's not just something. Jesus isn't just something we add. See, Christianity is not an activity. Christianity, Jesus, is. It's everything. That everything is done through the lens of this Logos. I parent through the lens of my Logos. I work through the lens of my Logos. My interests even are through the lens of my Logos. That my thoughts all go through this lens, my Logos. And you see, if you make that Logos Jesus, it becomes your life. It becomes your life. 
And John was going to discover over the next few weeks, he's going to say this, you will find contentment. That you can find peace. It's not just about the chase. You can actually live life in such a way where you feel that thing that you are hoping one day you will discover in something else out there. Only to discover that hundreds and thousands and millions of people have been seeking out there and not finding it. Jesus and John saying it's right there. He says it in the first verse. It's right there. So what is our Logos? Is it up to the task of life? And what John does now as he moves into, and, and forgive me for putting it this way, he's almost like giving Jesus his resume. It's like he's saying, look, this is why Jesus is Logos. And, and we read these things very quickly, but the depth of, uh, of thinking, the depth of revelation is profound. What John, what I'm going to show you in a second. That he's making statements that still cause discomfort today. See, the first thing he says is this, is that Jesus was eternally pre-existent. In the beginning was. This word was is a continuing word. Always was. He never had a beginning. This person, Jesus, yes, he's a man, because look, he's right over there, because John could actually say, I followed him, but he was always was. He didn't have a beginning. He was the Word, and the Word was continuing with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus was eternally pre-existent. What difference does that make to me? It tells me that there's a heaven, and then there's an earth. And there always was, that God never had a beginning, Jesus never had a beginning, because he was God. He had an eternal relationship. And the word was with God. That Literally, there's this idea of the moving towards one another because he is God. C.S. Lewis uh, describes it beautifully as a dance. That the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dance in community. That there's this communion, there's this fellowship. And then that when Jesus comes, he actually invites us into this relationship, this dance. What a beautiful way of describing it. See, he was eternal, which is profoundly important. Because if you take away Jesus' eternal aspect, then suddenly all the other things in his life actually become less important. His miracles, his, his, the resurrection, the, the, uh, the virgin birth, all these things you can take away. This is God. God, man, 100% God, 100% man. And he had an eternal relationship with God. And then he carries on that he's eternal, uh, that he is actually God. So Jesus always existed. He's in relationship with God and he is God. Not just a God, God. So that when you become a Christian, you have the spirit of God come and live in you. That's why it says that he gives us all things that pertain to God, the divine. And then he carries on. He says he's also the creator. Through him, all things were made. See, as we pause, John is saying this. By having a personal relationship with Jesus, the Logos, you are aligned with the design because the designer of the universe The creator God has created us to be a certain way. And if we decide to make that something else, we'll always feel this disjoint. And so many people now have discovered that if we align ourselves with Jesus, 
who is God, who was always and is eternal, that he was a creator, that he understands who we are and what we should be, that as we align ourselves with that, that we can actually have a personal relationship. Can I say, there is not one, not one other religion in the world that makes these claims. There is no other founder that makes these claims. Not one. Jesus did. And then he lived his life in proof of it and died a death because of it and then rose again into life proving all that he said and did was true. And we're coming up to Easter and you're going, well, resurrection. We're going to jump into the resurrection, the proof of the resurrection, closer to the time. Saying that you can have true life. John 20 verse 31 says this, same writer, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, which is a very loaded term. We're going to look at that next week. The Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he says, look, you can believe, but if you want to really have life, life abundantly, that's found in Jesus. Not in anybody's writing about him, not in anybody's thoughts about him. In Jesus, you can actually have a relationship, a personal relationship with the creator, eternal God. So imagine John coming along going, hey guys, you Greeks, you're right, there is a Logos. His name is Jesus. Wow, it's amazing. And it's still amazing today. It transformed lives then, it still transforms lives now. But what's incredible is that people reject it. The true light that gives light. See, our series is called Jesus, Light of the World. Now, many of you have been in Christianity long enough where you'll immediately think of the song. Light of the world. It doesn't actually come from that. It comes from the Bible. It comes from John. (laughs) And, and, And I was actually thinking, Luke, Luke, the word Luke, why we called you Luke is it means leader into light kind of cool and I know we have another little Luke because I introduced myself to him outside earlier on he's the light of the world he's the light of the world which is why we're looking at light there's something beautiful and perfect and right about light so he gives light to everyone who was coming into the world and he was in the world and though the world was made through him he's referring back to the verse we just looked at he's the creator the world did not recognize him is that not true today He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And the light shines in the darkness. This is an older version on purpose. Shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see, this idea of Jesus coming into the world, and then the world resisting him, I like the way that the older version puts it, because of this word here, comprehended. Some versions use overcome. It literally means you can't wrap your head around it. That you can't, you can't understand because we think we understand Jesus. We can't actually understand him. Does that make sense? We think we've got Jesus all sorted. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're thinking about Christianity or you're thinking about life. Oh yeah, Jesus, I know about him. I understand. And John's like, no, 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 you don't understand. He's the light of the world, and he is God. He's come into the world so that he can give this same light to those who believe in him. But he's resisted. People reject him. Why do they reject him? 
because they have their own logos. They think they have the answer. They think they have the answer. And so this is where I'm going to be gently loving, very truthful, just in case you thought I haven't been so far. Here's the danger of our other logoses. And can I say there's nothing wrong often with our logos. The logos that some of us are pinning our hopes in are often good things. But they can crush us. They can crush us. That's a really harsh thing to say. And I, and I wrestled over whether saying it. Because on one side you've got this contentment that I'm saying you can find in Jesus. And on the other side I'm saying, but you have your own logoses that will actually crush you. How do they crush you? Because we try so hard to find it and live up to it. That it actually makes us feel guilty when we don't get it. Or we feel ashamed that we're not good enough. And so we try harder. So let's say this logos is your business. So if you're not as successful as you believe your logos needs to be and you need to be in alignment so you can find peace and contentment so you've got enough money, it constantly crushes you. You never find freedom because there's always something else. There's always something else to look for. There's always, a, there's always more. And so it crushes you or it's not successful and you turn back in on yourself and go, it's because I'm not good enough and crushes you. Let's make that the family. I'm not a good enough parent. My kids are straying. So therefore it crushes you. If you make your kids your logos, your business your logos, anything at all, it will eventually crush you if you don't live up to it. It could be your own faith and set of beliefs or, or whatever. If you don't believe it, see people believe in Jesus but they're actually not believing in the true Jesus and it crushes them because the expectations of it on you, we can't deal with. You've got to do more, be more, go more, say more, be this, be that, don't do this. Crushes us. Crushes us. So that's one way it crushes us. The other way it crushes us is even more profound. If we do succeed, if we do get that logos, now we get self-righteous. Now we get full of pride. Now we get judgmental. Well, if everybody else was just like me, then life would be great. It's not a nice place to be. But if the Logos is the actual creator of the universe and is outside of us, and we align ourselves and have relationship with that, and he doesn't say you've got to be this, do this, got to go, must say this, don't do that. Those things come because you want to serve want to serve, not in order to get him to love you more or to get in, which is religion. You've got to do this, perform this way and be this kind of person and then you might get in to heaven. Which is why ironically when we say, well, he is a good person and she did go to church all the time and, and, they, and they were always very, very generous, they must get into heaven. It's kind of a strange thing to say because of this reason. Our thinking of who heaven is or what heaven is is often found in the Bible. And the same Bible that talks about heaven tells us how to get there. And it doesn't say you get there by doing good stuff. It doesn't. So there's this weird just disjoint. Yeah, they're in heaven because they were good people. Well, that's not where the author of heaven's. that's not how you get there. Does that make sense? So, Logos, we resist it because we think that we have it. We have the answer. 
And we resist Jesus as the Logos because we think somehow Jesus is going to crush us and make us do stuff we don't want to do, while all at the same time serving a Logos that actually does crush us and enslave us or makes us self-righteous and proud. That doesn't sound contentment and peace-filled to me. Look at how great my kids are. They're so amazing. Do you see how many goals he scored last week? Look at my daughter's grades. Look at the school my daughter got into. Look at the scholarships my son got. Look at the doctor that my son is. Look at the dentist that my daughter is. I'm such a great parent. It's what we're really saying if we're not careful. If we make our kids our logos, it terminates on us. You make Jesus logos, then suddenly, wow, I can be so proud of my kids. I can be so proud of my kids because look at what God's doing in their life. Look at how he's blessing them. You see, you divert attention to him. And we're going to talk more about this next week. It's an incredibly freeing place to be. Because if our son and daughter actually messes up and doesn't do what we really hope, it's still about him. Not about me as a parent. You see, we get distracted away from the real Logos. And the Logos is a gift. There's a lot of reading here. Let me get through it really quickly. Yet to all who did receive him. So those who resist him because of all the reasons I've just stated. Now we've got those who do receive him. Who do chase after him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent. It doesn't say that Jesus was a child of God. That the whole idea of sonship, you, you need to go back into the Old Testament to find out where the idea of son of man comes from. The word son. Because there's an equality when it comes to the word son in, in the Bible. That the eldest son was equal in inheritance and in power and authority to the father. So thinking about Jesus being somehow subservient to God is not true. That's not the way the word is formed. Children born not of natural descent, so he's talking about us now, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This word dwelling is really important, and I want to just bring this sermon to land looking at this word very quickly. In the Old Testament and, and in many other religions, the temple is a, is a central part of the religion. It's where they, most religions, and Christianity and Judaism included, they believe that God and heaven came in connection with earth and man at the temple. And that's where the sacrifices were made. So it's literally God and man coming together at the center, at the temple in the Old Testament. It's bringing heaven and earth together. And offerings for sin were made. There was atonement made in the temple. And what John is saying here, again, is unbelievably controversial and radical. He's saying, look, you don't need to go to the temple. He is the temple. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the one that enabled us to have connection with God. Because what they understood that we forget is they understood that our sin, our wrongdoing, mankind separates us from the Logos. They understood that. So they had this temple system that they believed that if you sacrifice, that this atonement could happen, this at one John's saying, look, you don't need the temple anymore because the temple came and lived with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus becomes the tabernacle. He becomes the sacrifice. So some of you might be going, okay, this is a lot. And it is. So let me put it in these terms. 
there's good news. The good news is, is that God created you and he loves you. The Bible is filled with that. It's really, really good news. You see, you might go, Glenn, you don't understand who I am. I cannot be loved. Lovingly, I would say you don't understand who God is because you can and you are. The infinite power of God allows him to love you infinitely. You don't have to do anything for him to love you. He loves you. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that all of us have sinned. If you don't believe in sin, hang around an 18-month, two-year-old baby. There's nothing there that's been taught, and it all comes very naturally. It's just there. And it doesn't get better, it gets worse. So you go, wow, that's a really harsh thing to say. But actually, think about your own life. Things don't tend to get better. Things tend to get worse. And, and so the Bible talks about sin, and, and we don't like the idea of sin because it means that, well, I actually have to look at what I need to correct. And we get very prideful about that. But when we're quiet and by ourselves, we know it's true. So the good news is, is that God loves us. The bad news is is that, is that we have sin, and, and sin separates us from God. Every single human. And it is powerful enough to keep you away from the Logos. It's powerful enough to send you to hell. It's powerful enough to keep you separate from God. The real, true design that you were created to be like. It's that powerful. That's the bad news. The really bad news is there's nothing you can do about it. No amount of giving, working, speaking, going, doing. You're not strong enough, powerful enough to bring that gap, that atonement. Which is why they believe they needed to make sacrifices. Not good deeds, not your thoughts, not your actions. And this is freeing. So please, listen to this. I know that we've been here a while. This is freeing because what it does is this. If there's nothing I can do about it, then there's nothing I can do about it. I can just, you know, I don't have to beat myself up, cause myself to be crushed. I can just go, okay, there's nothing I can do about my sin. No amount of good deeds no amount of good thoughts, no amount of good actions, no amount of church attendance, no amount of not going to that movie, no amount of not drinking that, nothing. I can do nothing about it. So we have a choice at that point. We can go, ah, well, screw it. Who cares? Let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or I can go, hang on a second. I know there's more. I know there's a Logos. So this is the really bad news. So, this is the good news. The good news is, God in his love and mercy sent his son, the Logos. Because if our sin separates us from God, then God in his godness is fully just. And his justice, you can read about in the Bible, that also talks about his love. And we like the loving God, we don't like to talk about the just God. The just God says this, that your sin requires a sacrifice. Your sin requires punishment, otherwise he ceases to be God. But the good news is this, I'll send my son to come and take that punishment on the cross. And by believing in him and receiving this gift, you will get forgiven and the atonement comes together. Now you might go, well, that's terribly unfair. That's really unfair. Well, the idea of justice we like, because we like it when the bad person gets justice. 
We just don't like justice when it applies to me. But we'll actually do, we, we function in this reality every day of our lives. We, we do, we just don't like the idea of it functioning in the reality of the eternal and divine. And so God in his love and his mercy and his grace sent his son to die on the cross. And the, John says later on in the book that all our sin and shame, if you believe in him, die with him and that atonement comes together. And so that's the good news. And the really good news is it's a gift. You can leave here this morning with that gift. Or you can leave here this morning believing that your Logos is up to the task. It's really good news. You can't earn it. And this is what makes religion and Christianity so different. There's no other religion like this. It's all about performance. You've got to do, you've got to be. Whereas in Christianity, it's about receiving and believing and confessing. Every other religion. So, this free gift is available to all. And John is saying that the Logos is Jesus. And he's saying that there is something more, and we do need to bring ourselves into alignment in it, and there is peace and contentment found in it. But if you were to ignore it and reject it, then your Logos is ultimately going to lead to, the Scriptures say, the Bible says, death. That whether it be eternal death or whether it just be feeling like the light's gone off in this life, it's not where we were created to be. John says there's life and life more abundantly, which is why I get so freaking excited about talking about Jesus because it's truly the greatest gift that I have the privilege of telling you about and saying, just receive it. The scripture says, those who believe that he is Lord and confess with their mouths become children of God, that they receive the light. And I don't know about you, but this church is filled with people of light. You just need to see it in them that regardless of the circumstances and the way that life is making them sway, they're strong because they have the strength of the light living in them. And this is why I've got the best job in the world to stand up here and truly tell you something that will transform your life. And we have people who are wealthy in this church. We have people who are not so wealthy. We have people who would say, I'm, they might not say I'm an academic, but we all know they are. We have the academics and then we have the not so academic, which I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm going to look up here, because that would be me. And then the academic, we've got all sorts of different people at different stages of life, but the commonality is this. They have the light of God living in them because they received, and they believed, and they confessed, and they're like, I have a new Logos. I have a new Logos. And then I go, why would you not want this? Well, does it mean I have to come to church on Sundays? I can do that. See, here's the beauty of it. Is that when you actually lean into and submit yourself to the one called Jesus, that those things that we think are actually going to crush us actually bring life to us. We win. I won. So did some of you. Most of you. You see, Jesus makes claims that no other founders do. And one of the claims, and I'm going to finish and I'm going to pray, is this. And this, this might ruffle some feathers. Jesus is not one among many. He is not one option among many. He never makes that claim. He's one. 
the one. Oh, Glenn, that's awfully arrogant. That's also awfully exclusive. And we're going to talk about that. Because that's not true. He accepts to all who receive him. But there is a him. There is a one. There is a way. And so many people, and we hear, thankful to Wendy who arranges this for us, people week in, week out, come up and stand on this stage and go, he's the one. Changed my life. Changed my life. We have to choose. And the choice is really simple. If God is igniting something in your life right now, and he's whispering there's a Logos and his name is Jesus, then... What do you do with that? My Logos is up to the task. I'm going to prove where other people have failed that my Logos can do it and ignore that Logos. Now, I believe that if God is talking to you this morning about him being the Logos, then that's powerful, that's significant, and I believe he's going to keep on, keep on, and keep on. Next week, two really important things happen. Number one, it's daylight savings. Clocks move forward. Dala, I told you I wouldn't forget. Uh, and secondly, we're going to jump into the next step, which talks about our identity and the lies that we're told. And that there's power in humility, that we can actually be courageous and innovative and strong and powerful while pointing to the one called Jesus at the same time. That being strong and courageous and empowered does not mean it all has to be about me like Instagram would say. But it actually can be all about him. And it'd be more powerful and more courageous and more innovative. That's what we're going to jump into next week. That Jesus is not weak and his Christian followers are not weak. They're absolutely the absolute opposite. That's what we're going to look at next week. But this week, I want you to spend some time praying, thinking, maybe journaling and However, whatever that looks like for you, maybe you're just driving along in your car, I just want you to ask the question, what's my Logos? Not really what is my Logos. Not what do I say is my Logos, but really what, what am I anchoring everything into? And is it up to the task? Let's pray. Father, I confess that when I stand here and feebly attempt to describe eternity and the Trinity and divinity, Lord, I'm just nothing. But God, I am grateful that your promise is that you will be the one that communicates. That you will be the one that speaks. And so Lord, I'm believing by faith as I pray that you are speaking to individuals in this room right now. And Lord, maybe in the middle of the wrestle, maybe there's a little bit of anger and annoyance. Maybe it's just sadness. But Lord, you can speak. Thank you, Jesus, that you came that you died and you rose again for your love and the joy that was set before you. 
Lord, I thank you that when you look into the lives of these wonderful people, you have nothing but love. And you call and you beckon. Come follow me. And so, Lord, I thank you that we can be children of the light. And, Lord, I pray for those that say they're Jesus followers in the room right now. Lord, I pray that we would just shine that light in the circles that you've given us the privilege to be part of. Fill us so full of that life that, Lord, truly it is a light. Lord, thank you that we can sing and we can spend a few moments just celebrating who you are, what you've done. Praise your name, Jesus. Let's stand together as